So we continue. This is uh, our second sermon in uh, our study of the book of Second Peter. And last week, uh, Pastor Chiming gave this outline of the book of Second Peter, and I think it's an excellent outline. First of all, Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus, wrote this pastoral letter. He was advising and trying to to build up his flock. And these are his last words. This would be the last letter, uh, as far as we know, that uh, Peter has, has written. He wrote two, First Peter and Second Peter. And he's concerned about the cultivation of the Christian character. Most important of all, a Christ-like character, which is the fruit of the Spirit. If you read Galatians 5, you understand the ninefold fruit of the Spirit about the inner character of a Christ follower. And then he provided warnings about uh, false teachers, which we will tackle next week. I'm going to talk a little bit about this today as well. And then hope, hope in the return of Christ, hope in the return of a Christian to the Heavenly Father. And today we look at this red circle bit, which is knowing the Scripture. That is like foundational in the life of uh, a Christian. And by knowing the Scripture, I think we can then tackle... uh, this few M's, mortality, uh, myths, and the morning star. So let's read the second half of Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 12 to the end. And I'd like you to just take note of what uh, I've highlighted in, in red. So Second Peter chapter 1 verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, as what I've highlighted uh, in red, Peter talks three times about remind, reminder, recall. And if you were Peter, how would you do that? To encourage your flock and your people to always be reminded, reminder, recall. And even at any time to be able to recall, you do that by writing. So, in his days, Peter would remind his disciples and Christians uh, about the Old Testament, which was written at that time. But it also included the beginnings of the New Testament. Hence, he wrote 1 Peter, he wrote 2 Peter, but also the Gospel of Mark, because many scholars have um, said that Peter is the most likely source of the Gospel of Mark, as he narrated his eyewitness accounts of his travels and, and discipleship journey with Jesus, Mark, then wrote it down in the Gospel of Mark. But how will it be written? It will be written by men. It will be written by men who spoke from God as they were inspired, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Later on in chapter 3 of Second Peter, Peter also made this uh, a very bold statement that acknowledged Paul, another apostle, Paul's writing as Scripture. It is biblical what Paul has written. That's uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. So, remind, reminder, recall how? By the word. 
And in this second part of chapter 1, Peter addresses three pastoral concerns that he had for the Christians. And these are mortality about death from verse 12 to 15, about myths, about delusions and deceptions that has crept into the church in verses 16 to 18, and about the morning star shining out in darkness from verse 19 to 21. So let's hit mortality first. Peter talks about his body. The putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear to me. The word that he used there is tabernacle. It is a, a tabernacle. And, and, and when did Jesus make it clear to Peter that his body or that he will, he's going to die soon? It's found in John chapter 21. Um, let me read the, the whole thing so you get a sense of what's going on with, with Peter. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. That means you can do whatever you like. You walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And, and tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down. You stretch out your hands. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who, the one who said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, this is John, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to Peter, if it is my will that John remain until I come, what is that to you? You, follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So this is the account of Jesus and Peter and John. And Jesus says, you're going to be martyred. And only God has the power over the day, the, the day of someone's death. I think Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8 tells us, no man has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the day of his death. Not you, not I would know when would be the day of our death. But Jesus made a prediction about Peter's death. And so Peter knew that his time was short. Peter knew that the road ahead was going to be painful and difficult. And that he had a mission to accomplish. And what was that mission? If we now refer to Luke chapter 22 from verse 31, and this is again Jesus talking to Peter, whose other name is called Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I, Jesus, have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I think Peter took that to heart. He writes Second Peter to strengthen the brothers. That was his mission, as like a shepherd under Christ. So how would he strengthen his brothers? He shared his eyewitness account. So he wrote First Peter, he wrote Second Peter. But this thing about writing, um, it's like the story told about uh, a PhD uh, student who was uh, writing his dissertation and he got very tired of, of writing. Why must everything be, be, be written? Why can't I just say I spoke to uh, this waiter and he told me this story, and, and I put this story into my PhD dissertation to, to try and uh, uh, pad up my, my, my dissertation. And, and, and I heard this, and I heard that, and, and I just write, and I submit to you, and why don't you just give me a PhD? And 
Of course, the, the professor says, no, that's not how it's done, right? You've got to write it, you've got to footnote it, and so that everything can be checked. It's written black and white for everybody to read, to check, to see whether or not what you've written makes sense, what you've written is true, and not, uh, what, what is the word nowadays? Uh, false, whatever. A fake news, you know. So that's the way things are done. And, um, and, and this PhD student still wasn't very happy. But uh, the day came when his PhD was to be awarded. And the professor said then, uh, well, you know, you keep telling me that the written word is not important. Just talk is good enough. Now, um, I'm not going to give you your PhD in writing. You just have to take my word for it. He said, that doesn't work, right? Even when Jesus was confronting Satan, it is written. It is written. It is based on something that is recorded. Everybody can see. Everybody can critique it. It is written. And so the Word of God is that important. It's written for us. Um, I, I listen to Ravi Zacharias a lot, and this is a story that he tells a lot when he was a teenager, about 17 years old. He got so discouraged and depressed that he, he committed uh, a suicide. He tried to take his own life, but uh, didn't succeed. And he was in, uh, like, uh, in a hospital. And this man came by the hospital and gave a Bible to his mother. And this was the verse that the mother read to him. He said in a very heavily uh, Indian accent, accented English. John chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. And just these words, written and then spoken by the mother, turned his life around. And now he's a famous man of God, apologist, defending the gospel. Just this word that was written. You know, mortality, turning of life around. I came up close and personal with the question of mortality 26, 26 days ago when when my mom passed away on the 1st of August. And I took this picture. So it says, departed 1st August 2017, age 78. I think should not be departed. Should be arrived. Arrived home 1st of August. And, and she, she died with all her children and grandchildren all around her except two who were overseas. And, and that's when I, I discovered that I wasn't the stoic person that I thought I was. I thought I'll be very zai. I, I break down like everybody else. Because her mortality has run its course. But her life has not. Because, you know, you see this verse, uh, John 11, verse 25, uh, in, in most weeks. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and this is the ultimate comfort, the Word of God, that you live because He lives. Even though you die, the mortality of, of a person is just so, so I don't know, it, it's so striking or, or whatever. I, I look at my mom on, on, uh, in her last few days, she was only about like 30 kg, just whittling down to, to nothing. And you think that 30 kg is very light after the cremation? It's even less than that. I think after the cremation, it's probably less than 1 kg. And that, that's it. That's it. But that's not it. Because there is that one true source of comfort. And, and God knows that we are but dust, right? It's recorded. It's in the Word of God, Genesis 3, uh, 19, that you are dust and to dust you shall return, that we are but, but jars of clays, mentioned for us in 2 Corinthians also. All this is the, is the Word of God that is our anchor for our faith. And, and so we don't lose heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, we don't lose heart, even though your outer self is wasting away, even though you whittle down to 30 kg, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, and, and so we look not to the things that are seen, the body and the sickness, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. 78 years is gone, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The spirit, the Christian character of a person. 
talking about Christian character, my, my dad, who's not yet a believer, questioned my mom's faith and salvation, even like the week before she passed. He was saying like, ah, yeah, she just want to follow the children and like have a convenient funeral and, and all that. I don't think she's really a Christian. One early morning, I was I'm at the wake like 7 a.m. every morning. There was only the two of us, my dad and myself. And that's when he confided in me. He said, you know, I want to tell you this. A few days ago, when mom was very sick, I, I tried to give her peace. So I did all my chants of Buddhist kind of a chance to, to give her the peace. But the more I chanted, the more agitated she got. And, and then, then he said, I backed off. And I said, okay, okay, you, you just pray to your Lord Jesus. Huh? And, and like, like that, she became all calm and peaceful. And then he said this to me, your mom is a real Christian. I said, oh, those are comforting words to me. Even though she was unable to speak, but I believe that the word that was buried in her heart showed itself in the calm and the peace that she had. So mortality, I know many of you here are very young, but uh, I tell you, go and attend as many funeral wakes as you can because it really sharpens the mind, sharpens the focus of your life and, and what life is, is really about. So come now to miss from verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honour and glory from God the Father, and a voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And soon enough, Peter himself, I think, knows that when he is martyred, he will hear this himself. You are my beloved son. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think he had that in his mind. And so he warned about cleverly devised myths that can lead people astray. Uh, the, the Greek word there is sophistry, sophisticated myths. The Apostle Paul also warned about myths. Not just Peter, but Paul. Let me read four verses uh, quickly to you uh, from Paul that talks again about this. Second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, it says not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Again, the Christian character. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, into myths. Titus chapter 1, verse 14. Not devoting themselves to Jewish, Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth because they were following all these things and not grounding themselves in the Word of God. But back to, to Peter, where he was talking about the voice. What happened there? It was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? So what happened on, in this, this thing called the transfiguration. Okay, let's read from uh, the gospel account of Luke chapter 9. What happened there? From verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Talk about Jesus' death. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting with him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, knowing, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And I note this last verse, And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything 
of what they had seen. They kept silent until now, until Peter wrote about this in 2 Peter. And it was a glorious thing, right? It was a, a charismatic a thing. It was a spiritual high. But note verse 28, the starting of this passage that I read, about eight days after this saying, then Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up to this high charismatic uh, experience. What happened eight days before? That was when Jesus taught his disciples, Peter, John, James, and the rest, to deny yourself, to take up the cross, and to follow him even through suffering. But we don't hear too much about denying ourselves or taking up the cross and following him through, following him through suffering. We, we hear, in fact, these days, I think quite a lot about this term, effortless faith effortless Christianity. We hear about health and wealth. We hear about take communion, take more communion. The more communion you take, holy communion, uh, the, the healthier you will, will, you will become. We don't hear so much talk about sin. In fact, the word is, is seldom used even. These days, we hear more about grace. Grace. And if you listen closely enough to some of these uh, uh, preachers, you, you come to this very natural conclusion that if you only have faith in the God of grace, uh, you can also live to 120 years, just like Moses did. And that uh, you will not be childless. In fact, you will be just like Sarah. Okay? Very, very old, but can still give birth. And people flock to this kind of teachings and it makes the pastor quite wealthy and healthy, I'm not sure, but at least wealthy. But can you imagine the, the guilt and the condemnation Right, of course, you gather together and all everybody here is healthy and, and wealthy and they're congratulating one another, they're getting promotions and pray, really praise God for that, right? Thank God for that. But the 90% of mankind are not healthy and wealthy, right? We've got problems, we cannot conceive and then we have miscarriages and, 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 and we've got job problems and we lose our job. We're not healthy and we're not wealthy. And this group, is congratulating one another, but maybe they're so happy that they are healthy and wealthy that they don't even cross over into this. And, and therefore, we, we on this side, we felt, wow, maybe God not blessing me. Maybe I'm not practicing the right Christianity. So there is this kind of, uh, of, of tension that we forget the real world that we live in. And, and, and Paul says this so, so clearly. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, the sound teaching of pick up the cross, pick up the cross and follow Jesus, but have itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into mists. Don't you think that it's quite delusional to think that Christianity is effortless when all over the Bible, the word make every effort, make every effort, it's just all over there. It is difficult to be a Christian. It is not effortless. Don't you think it's delusional to think that all Christians will be healthy and wealthy when you read in the Bible the stories of Job and everybody and people uh, get sawn into two and head get chopped off for the faith? Isn't that delusional? Apart from delusion, there's also deception. And I nearly fell for one last week. Uh, I received an email from uh, quite a famous preacher. I don't know how he found my email. He wrote to me and said, Hey, I preach a sermon and Billy Graham's daughter recommends my sermon. I said, wow, okay. Then I clicked, stupidly, I clicked to listen. And so he talked about the solar eclipse on the 21st of August, 2017. Hey, this is a very topical issue. I want to learn more. And I learned that, uh, that this solar eclipse can be seen across a wide swath of uh, middle of America. We know that. I also learned something, that a total solar eclipse is only geometrically possible on planet Earth. I said, hey, wow, fantastic, right? That's, uh, I learned something, and, and my God is so amazing. Uh, and why? Why? Because the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, and the distance from Earth to the moon and the distance from Earth to the sun is exactly 400 times uh, a difference. And because of this and that, geometrically, then you can have a total solar eclipse that can be seen on earth. I said, wow, God is so creative. Amazing. Then it started to get weird. 
Then he linked the approximate temperature of the sun. You know what's the temperature of the sun? 5778 Kelvin. Okay, remember that. 5778 Kelvin. And he linked the temperature of the sun to the Jewish calendar. Next year, the Jewish calendar is not 2018. Next year, the Jewish calendar is 5778. <gasps> 5778. Wow, there's a link. Then he said that, you know what is the sign of Jonah? Did you know that on the 15th of June, 763 BC, that there was a solar eclipse also around the area of Mosul, which is uh, near Nineveh. And therefore, the sign of Jonah is not what it says in the Bible. The sign of Jonah is a solar eclipse, just as we are having one now. And, um, but what does the Bible say? What is the sign of Jonah? Was an eclipse mentioned there? It says... Three days and three nights, he was in the belly of the fish. And three days and three nights, he was in the, in the heart of the earth, talking about Jesus. The sign of Jonah is a sign of Jesus. Death, suffering, resurrection. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible and you will know how weird this is. Then it got even weirder. He linked the sun's temperature and the solar eclipse to Donald Trump. And globalism. And, and it defines globalism as that there is this sinister global conspiracy of liberal government. That there will be one liberal global government. And that, thank God for Trump. He is God's agent to defend America and the free world against this liberal elite of globalism. And he says, the Republican elites hate Trump. The Democrat elites hate Trump. True, right? It's true. I said, yeah, that's true. Then his conclusion was, that tells me that Trump has to be good. And the real clincher was when he says that Trump is a smart guy. He's learning very fast. A, a guy who, despite all the people warning you not to look at the solar eclipse and the bright sun, you know, unaided, goes ahead and does it anyway. You know, but really, it's like, the world is, is not just asking, I don't think the world is asking for a very bright president or a smart guy. We're just asking for morality. A sense of right and wrong. And, and just plain common decency. So where is this deception? I think this deception is like that you really blurred the lines of, uh, of uh, decency. You know? There's no right, there's no wrong. Um, and yes, Trump has appointed a very good uh, conservative uh, 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 judge to the Supreme Court and that's about the only good thing he has done, I think. But that gets blown up. And all the other things doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. Where the character of the person doesn't matter. So this preacher, who I stupidly listen to, sells many books. And I also found out that one of the elders of a church in Singapore invited him to preach. So I think he preached an okay sermon. I mean, it's not always so weird. So he preached an okay sermon. But what this elder told me was that, uh, because it was from overseas, so this church checked him into a hotel, gave him a deluxe room. But this preacher checked himself out of the deluxe room and check himself into a suite. Okay. Character. What about the character? You can preach a fantastic sermon, but the, that one act tells me more about your character than anything else. And, and unless we know the Word of God, we read the Word of God, how are we going to stand up against all these kind of very cleverly devised myths and, and really captures your attention? Delusion, deception. We talk a bit about mortality, about myth, and I... Now end with the morning star from verse 19, 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. These are really dark days, don't you think? Not just the solar eclipse, but I mean, can you, can you just... I cannot even imagine that in America... There will be neo-Nazis. The Ku Klux Klan can just come out into the open and burn crosses and 
some guy can drive a van and kill somebody in America, and they are doing this to Hitler. They have the pictures of Hitler. They have the swastika in Charlottesville. This is America. How can it be that they were the guys who... How many people, Americans, died fighting the Nazis? And here, right in their homeland, they are celebrating this kind of uh, white supremacists and all that. How dark can it be? Oh, but that's America. What about here, Singapore, Malaysia? I fell off my chair when I saw this video clip, you know, the, the soccer game in the sea games. And, and what were they shouting? Uh? Singapore, anging dibuno saja. I found the translation was Singapore dogs can be killed. You know, this is in a stadium, you know, for, for soccer in sea games, you know. So, how dark can it be? And how dark can the human heart be that after World War II, after the horrible things that has happened in Nazi Germany, there are supporters of Hitler in America. And there are supporters in Malaysia calling Singaporean dogs. And so I'm thinking that, well, you cannot discount anything. Okay? That's why the Bible says that the human heart is desperately wicked. And you cannot discount. It's, it's already happened, right? Some joker has driven a van and killed one uh, person in America. You cannot discount the, 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 the day that there might be racial riots and killings in Singapore, in Malaysia, in, in America. Maybe the whites will kill the blacks and the blacks will kill the whites. You cannot discount that because even in, in, if you've heard of the Stanford experiment where they got upstanding Graduate, uh, uh, undergraduates who are good moral people and they like, played this game and they went all the way to torture their own people in, in the name of an, a psychological uh, experiment. All these things happen. And I think when the fear is aroused, I think decent Chinese like us can kill decent Malays. Right? It's that darkness of the human what does the Word of God say about darkness? In 1 John chapter 2, let me read this. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, the Apostle John writes, which is true in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hate equals darkness. And Second Peter tells us that there is something very sure, the prophetic word which we must pay attention to. It is that lamb that shines in the dark place. It is that lamb, that morning star that rises in our hearts that transforms our dark, desperately wicked heart that we all think we don't have. But if we come to a Stanford experiment, we are capable of torturing our own fellow students. And when it comes to some kind of a racial riot, we are capable of killing somebody. The morning star is Jesus. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Lord Jesus, the God of love, God of grace, Emmanuel who is with us, the Word made flesh, full of grace and truth. And when this morning star shines in our hearts, it is the thing that displaces our fear that so so often manifests itself in hatred. It's not so much hatred. It's like you fear and then it transforms into that dark, gooey, horrible thing called hatred. And so Peter says, I think it is right as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by way of reminder, to stir you up, to awaken you, to arouse you. And I think there is no better way to stir people like us, then to catch that sense of mortality. That young as you are, you're going to die. <laughs> and, and that life is short. 
Peter was told by Jesus about his impending death and martyrdom. At 78 years old, my mom was told by the doctor that your leukemia has transformed into aggressive lymphoma. Although we didn't tell her, but we asked the doctor, so what is the medium life expectancy? And he told us nine months. Nine months, median. Half would die before nine months and half would die after nine months. My mom only lasted four months. So God or some doctor may tell you how much time you have left. They can only tell you, or God can tell you exactly, but he doesn't. But the doctors can tell you median. But the word of God tells you that you are but jars of clay. That life is short but it is not temporal. So what are we spending this short life on? And our pursuits, if it is blinded by delusion, it is blinded by, by deception, it would just be temporal. And what we leave behind are just temporal. Okay, my mom left behind some very interesting things. You know, she had this piggy bank and and out of 50 cent coins, and then the grandchildren had a great time just counting it and dividing it among ourselves, and some jewelry pieces. But in the end, it's that less than one kg of, of, of clay, of dust. What do I remember most? She is a true Christian. The character of Christ-likeness. You know, I'm always very taken by what Mark Twain said before his death, and and these people can express it so well in English. He said, the myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Maybe a promotion and backstabbing. Then age creeps upon them. Infirmities and sickness follow. Those they love are taken from them. And the joy of life is turned into aching grief. It comes as last. It comes as last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them, that's death. And they vanish from the world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them for a day. But if you're Chinese, then three days or five days are in a week. And then forget them forever. Is that life? So my advice, attend as many weeks as you can because it really sharpens your mind and it, it transforms your life. You, you reckon with mortality and the temporal and the eternal. And what is the real crux of life? What survives? What survives is your soul, the Christ-like character. So God desires so much better for us, right? He has put eternity into the hearts of men. He wants fruit that lasts. The fruit of the Spirit, that character that shines, a Christ-like character. He wants us to deny ourselves, to take up the cross that, yes, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome to come. Come, let's journey this road of life together. Take up the cross and follow Him. He wants us to make a difference in this temporal world so that we will have an impact in the eternal world. Take up the cross, follow Him, obey His commandments. So let's not get caught up with sophistry. Let's not get caught up with myths or, or sophisticated interpretation of Scripture. There are issues which have remained difficult in Christendom for the last 2,000, 5,000 years. And, and books and scholars have written about this way and on the other hand that way and, and, and all that. Just read the Bible simply. Obey its simple commandments. Like, like the Ten Commandments, it says, says honour the Sabbath. Simple, right? One day in seven, remember God, come together to worship. But actually, there's a deeper thing there. It's not just you. It's your servants. Honour the Sabbath. And therefore, we've got to help our, our helpers uh, to have a time off. Um, it says, honour your father and mother. It's so deep there. It's so deep. Honor your father and mother. It says forgive 70 times 7. Otherwise, you will not be forgiven and that should scare the living daylights of, of us. Forgive. Otherwise, you will not be forgiven. You know, you hear this term, biblical literacy, very often. It's, it's, it's a good word. 
But sometimes I'm, I'm a bit disturbed by it because it suggests this. Like, it suggests the image of some studious guy uh, knowing a lot about Scripture and then always earning brownie points. And then if you ever have a Bible quiz, huh, he's the guy who wins all the prizes, right? Get all the answers right, like Edwin Chua. You know, nobody competes with Edwin Chua in Bible quizzes, right? Uh, but that's not the, the all there is to, to biblical literacy. And I, I prefer the word biblical authenticity, if there's such a word. The authority of Scripture that you subscribe to, that once the Lord says it, I believe it and I live it. I think that is the crux, right? If you are able now to forgive 70 times 7, I think your, your Christian character will just shine. You will forever be, be, be seen as this, this Christian of grace. So like the Lord Jesus. So like the Lord. So forgiving. So gracious. I think that is, that is the real thing. Much, much more than literacy uh, to know that in this chapter, there's 153 fishes that was mentioned. And, 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 and something like that, you know, eh? So read the Word, believe it, live it. Don't just like go through the Bible, but let the Bible go through you. Read large chunks of the Bible. Get the main themes in, in the Bible about the love of God, about man's sin, about faith in what God does for us, how we grow to be more Christ-like, that there is a spiritual warfare, that there are six pieces of, of armour that, that God helps us to defend uh, ourselves and to prosecute this spiritual warfare. Read about the, the first three kings in, in the Bible, how it was so glorious for Saul and how he fell. And David came and he fell and he fell and he fell, but he's a man after God's own heart. And then the wisest man came up and, and what happened uh, there. Read the big themes. Read about the questions that God asks uh, you. God asks, what is your name? It's such a deep question. God says, what do you have in your hand? Whatever you have, join the Christmas musical thing and God can use you. What are you doing here? Do you love me more than this? These are the big questions that it, we, we get a grasp on, you know? How to be rich. We had this sermon series recently. How to be rich. Yeah, how to be rich. How to be rich towards God. How to be rich towards other people. You know, our mortality must drive us towards the Word of God. Drive us towards the God of the Word. Drives us towards the morning star. What would the morning star do? What would Jesus do? How do I deal with the hatred, the unforgiveness, the fear that is in my heart? There is a lamp in a dark place. The morning star that rises in our hearts. And so I want you guys all to know the Word of God and to know the God of the Word that if this jar of clay should so weaken that I'm unable to talk anymore, like my mom, people can see that I have Jesus in my heart. There is a morning star inside there. There is that character that has been formed through suffering, through walking with Jesus. So while you can still walk, while you can still talk, hide that word in your heart. Psalm 119 says, I store your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That your word is a lamb unto my feet and a light unto my path. So this world can be a very dark place. Your heart can be a very dark place, but it cannot be so dark to be black, right? Otherwise, you become awesome. You know? Black heart. Haksam. You've got to have the Word of God deposited in our heart that it rises, it brings light, it brings peace, and it is visible before an unbelieving world. Okay, let me ask the worship team to come help us with, uh, with an old song. But I hope that this song will anchor some of the thoughts this afternoon in, in our hearts. Let's just be simple Christians, you know. You don't get so complicated and so sophisticated. Life is short, but life is actually very simple, right? You look at the Word of God, you read it, you believe it, you obey it, and you grow, you grow. And even for an illiterate person like my seven, eight-year-old mom, 
one day somebody will say, wow, true Christian. That, I think, is worth more than all the degrees you can have and all the riches that you can have. Right? The Word of God is inside. It's inside. It shines. Come, let's stand as we sing this very old song. pray that you will help us to trust. And when I think of trust, I, I think of holding the hand of someone because I think of my mom. We're not very physical kind people. I hardly ever hug my mom, but towards the last days, we held hands quite a lot. And I can now think of her holding the hands of Jesus. And so too, each one of us, we can hold the hands of Jesus. What He says we will do where he sends, we will go. Because we're holding his hand, we're trusting him that this indeed is the best for us. 
even if it is through through difficult pathways, it's His way. He knows best. And if there are ungodly relationships, there are ungodly, not God-glorifying things that, that we are stuck with, then let's grab onto His hands and, and follow His, His way. Let's let that morning star rise in our hearts, to shine there to dispel sin, dispel darkness, to develop a Christian character. I pray that God will enable us to do that. And let's reckon also with our own mortality, young as many of us are. One day, we will stand before the judgment seat and we will give an account. And how wonderful to hear him say, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. Good and faithful servant, because you held on tight to me and you journeyed with me, you're not led astray by cleverly devised myths and easy kind of effortless wishy-washy Christianity but you stood firm you are a true soldier of Christ and you've made an impact in this world people can see that Christ-like character in you whether you can have words and strength to speak it or not you have risen and you have shone in my name because you held on tight to me and so God I pray that each one here would be that true disciple of Jesus Christ that we are willing to take up the cross to follow you where does this strength come from? from you Lord strengthen us for this kind of life this kind of lifestyle enable each one here to really be shining where you have placed us we are different because we are holding on to your hand and you are giving us strength, enabling us to make an impact for you. So Father, thank you so much. Lord. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We pray in Jesus' name.